impulse that the Lord used in his life was to free him uh, from all worldly joys, uh, that he would find uh, his all in all uh, in the Lord. And a uh, wonderful hymn. Please turn with me uh, in your scripture to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8. Mark, chapter 8. We're going to be reading verses 27 uh, through verse 31. Uh, Mark 8, 27 through uh, verse 31. Last time we were uh, reading of the uh, blind man who was given eyes to see in that unusual way that we only find once in the scripture, a two-step healing of the Lord Jesus, but tucked in right here in the Gospel of Mark as the Lord is teaching his disciples, uh, as he is encouraging them to see uh, who he really is uh, as Lord, Savior, King, and Messiah. And so as we come then to Mark 8, uh, 27, in many ways we come to uh, a climax uh, in the Gospel uh, of Mark, uh, as we have been with Jesus and the disciples walking with him for probably, uh, as best we can tell, maybe two years, two and a half years at this point, uh, the Gospel of Mark has covered already. And so we come to this portion of Scripture, Mark 8, verse 27. This is the living and abiding uh, word of the Lord. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea. Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say, Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one About him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for his help. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Again, that we have the uh, glorious and gracious opportunity that you have given us this day to be alive again, uh, to hear your gospel, uh, to hear the word proclaimed, to be with your people, to sing your praises, uh, to pour out our heart and soul to you in prayer on this Lord's day. And so we thank you that you would help us by your spirit to make the most of this opportunity, that by your Holy Spirit you would take the word that's been read and that is preached That you would not leave it outside of us, but that you would take that word and and write it upon our hearts. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the most important question uh, you will ever and I will ever answer is, who is this Jesus? You'll remember that the uh, Gospel of Mark began this way. Uh, Its very first verse, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we are about halfway uh, in the gospel of Mark, uh, where we find uh, Jesus uh, speaking to his disciples and particularly directing this question to them. Uh, Who is he? Who do you say that I am? 
Whenever I come to this passage of Scripture, I am reminded of a sermon I heard about 30, 30 years ago uh, now. And you're thinking, what? You remember a sermon from 30 years ago? That's impossible. No, I do. I, I remember a sermon uh, about 30 years ago. And I remember the pastor opening the sermon this way. I'd like you to imagine, he said, uh, that here at the front with me, we have a row of several different chairs. And every one of these chairs uh, represents a different idea about who Jesus really is. And uh, then he went on to describe a number of different uh, options. Um, he started by referring to the Jesus of a, a Professor Brandon, former professor at the University of Manchester in England, who wrote a book a long time ago called Jesus and the Zealots. And in that book, Jesus was described in his heart of hearts as a political revolutionary. He was all about uh, overthrowing political and social structures of the day. That's the Jesus in the first chair of Professor Brandon. There was the Jesus of Professor Sean Field, who wrote a book called The Passover Plot. The Passover Plot. And so you can imagine where that book goes. His basic thesis was that Jesus... Well, Jesus uh, really uh, was a liar. He was a good liar, to be sure, according to Professor Sean Field, uh, but he was a liar nonetheless. Uh, what did he do? Well, he fooled his disciples um, and many people after them to believe he was truly God, told lots of stories, but he really, he really was tricking them at the end of the day. He was a liar. Uh, the Jesus of Professor Sean Field. A few years later, uh, another book came out called The Human Face of Jesus. And, uh, and this pastor said, this is the Jesus who sits in this third chair up here at the front with me. And this Jesus is the epitome of the evolutionary process. You can imagine the human face of Jesus. Jesus is the crowning jewel of the evolutionary development of man. I mean, you can't get a better man than Jesus. He's in the third chair. Fourth chair find the Jesus of a once popular musical entitled, if any of you remember it, Jesus Christ Superstar. And the picture of Jesus portrayed in that musical, best described by one of the songs of that production called Only a Man. Because that's who Jesus was, of course, in this musical. Only a man. And then, of course, you had the fifth chair. He talked about a fifth chair. This is the chair that belonged to a, uh, a 1980s Danish film producer, who came out with a movie entitled The Many Faces of Jesus. And that movie apparently was so offensive in its portrayal of Jesus that it was outlawed in country after country. And perhaps some of you um, will remember the great uh, uh, ruckus there was when a movie called, came out called The Last Temptation of Christ. He's also in that fifth chair because that fifth chair is a Jesus who at the end of the day uh, while he's hanging on the cross, he's pictured as fantasizing about coming down from the cross and committing sin. That's the Jesus in the fifth chair. And as I uh, think about that sermon many years ago, uh, it strikes me that we could have, uh, if we did that, we could have a hundred chairs, maybe, up here at the front with me. Because there is confusion about Jesus. That's the first thing we see in this passage, that there's confusion about Jesus. There was confusion back in that day. There's confusion in, 
In our day, and maybe as you've had opportunity to talk of Jesus to other people, uh, you've come across the great teacher Jesus. Great teacher. Uh, Or the Jesus who will help you reach your full potential. That's what Jesus is all about, helping you reach your full potential. Uh, Or the sympathetic Jesus who would never rebuke you or call you to repent. He just wants you to be your true you. And, and have you expressed yourself? Whatever's in there. Can't be wrong, just express it. That Jesus, or the Jesus who would like to be your friend, if you could possibly maybe fit him into your schedule, he would love to come along and be your friend if, if you've got time. And that Jesus is also up here in the chair. A Jesus that was a great man at the end of the day. In fact, probably the greatest man that ever lived, but that's all he was. A a man no different than you or I. And certainly not somebody who is worthy of our worship and adoration. I mean, who would worship and adore a man? Now that isn't the end of the list, of course. If we went on, we would be here a long time. You see, there are many, many different Jesuses in the world today. Maybe you think of someone's idea I haven't mentioned. And if you're not a true follower of Jesus Christ, it can become very confusing. And you have to ask yourself uh, the question, who really is this Jesus anyway? And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, that's uh, north of the Sea of Galilee. There's another Caesarea Muritania, I think it's called, on the sea, on the Mediterranean Sea. This is, this is a different one, Caesarea uh, Philippi, north of the Sea of Galilee. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do the people say that I am? And they told him, verse 28, John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others, uh, one of the, the prophets. So Jesus is taking his disciples north. And as they're walking through the villages near Caesarea Philippi, Jesus poses this question. Their answer uh, should remind us, really, of what what Herod Antipas had said a couple chapters before when he heard of the ministry of Jesus. Do you remember this? In chapter 6, verse 14, King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That's why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he's Elijah. And others said, he's a prophet. Like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. And so, here as Jesus says, well, who are the people saying? Oh, they repeat exactly what Herod said. This is is, is the the news. This was the uh, word that was going around the countryside uh, about, about Jesus. But here, clearly, even with that, here, clearly, the crowd, many of whom would be followers of Jesus, following him around... They certainly see him as a uh, as a prominent messenger of God. After all, they're saying, well, in this person, we see Elijah raised from the dead or in this person, we see John the Baptist raised from the dead. So they're, 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 they're saying some pretty serious things about about Jesus. And in fact, by this question, of course, Jesus recognizes that people will talk of him. Uh, his very life forces people to think of him. People like to speculate about Jesus, make television shows about Jesus, talk about Jesus, but never actually sometimes actually dealing with Jesus. (laughs) 
and what he says and what he claims as he has revealed himself to be. There's a wonderful scene in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress where uh, the traveler Christian meets a man named uh, a man named Talkative. Uh, I don't know if you've ever read the Pilgrim's Progress. Many of you have. He meets Talkative, who loves to talk of theology, and he talks on and on. But when asked, uh, Christian asked him about his own soul, all of a sudden Talkative gets offended, uh, and he stops talking, and he changes the subject, and eventually leaves. Um, he loved to talk about religion, but if, he, if, you know, if Christian wanted to talk about, what, what about what Christ has done within you? He said, I can't have any of that. What are you doing to me? And, uh, and he left. So crowds will always talk of Jesus expressing confused views of Jesus. But we find in this passage being, uh, you know, being a, a part of the crowd, uh, being a part of the people who are talking uh, is, uh, is not enough. Um, there has to be, you see, one more, one more chair up here this, in front this morning. Um, because, you see, Jesus in this passage isn't just interested in finding out who people or the crowds think he is or who Herod and the world says he is. Jesus goes on to say in verse 29, and he asks them, but who do you say that I am? Actually, it could be translated this way, but, but you, who do you say or that I am? Or, but you, who do, who do you keep on saying that I am? What, are, what, are, what is your uh, understanding of who I am? I know who the people think I am, uh, but what about you? And the you is, is emphatic there. What about you personally? But you, who do you say that I am? After all you have seen and all you have heard. Can you imagine the, imagine the scene here? Because I imagine the disciples, you know, Jesus says, oh, what are people saying about me? And they say, yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, then Jesus turns to them and says, well, but what about you? What about you? What do you believe about me? Uh, I think they would have been shocked. This is Jesus, so there's confusion about Jesus, but this is Jesus uh, now seeking a uh, confession from his disciples. It's, uh, in other words, it's, it's time, Jesus is saying. Here we are halfway through the Gospel of Mark. Of course, you wouldn't have said that. But it's time. What do you have to say about who I am? It's all very fine and well to ask others their opinion of me, but not nearly as important as what you believe in your own heart and mind. But you, who do you say that I am? It can be translated this way. As for you, that is in contradistinction to others, uh, who are you saying that I am? It's time to draw the line, says Jesus, to his disciples between them and yourselves uh, by making a confession of your faith. You've been with me at this point, as we said, probably about two and a half years. You've heard the message. You've seen the signs. What say you? Maybe you've grown up in a Christian home, attended church all your life, read the Gospels hundreds of times. But there always has to come that point where you hear the Lord saying to you, but what about you? I know what all these other people believe. I know what all these other people at church believe. But what about you? Uh, I don't know if anyone remembers Aragorn and the return of the king. 
trying to uh, recruit an army to follow him in battle against the Dark Lord. Aragorn is the true king, and he's trying to recruit men, uh, well, recruit folks, uh, to uh, battle against the Dark Lord. And he's trying to, try to, try to, try to get their response, and he, and he gets his, his sword in his hand, and he says, you know, I'm going, I'm going to fight. Uh, are you coming? Uh, what say you? It's a great scene. What do you say? Well, of course, we find here that Peter answers. Uh, you are the Christ. The word Christ in Greek, uh, Christos, uh, means anointed. Uh, in Hebrew, uh, which it is used to translate at times, means Messiah. And so, uh, over in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew will add, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, is what Peter says. Luke says, uh, Peter says, the Christ of God. They all have in common this, this emphasis that you are the Christ. You are the anointed one. And so he makes a confession of his faith. Now, it's pretty hard to find someone, I think, even today, who would deny that Jesus was at least a historical person. You know, whether they conceive of him as a great moral teacher, as we said, or a great prophet, like the Buddha or Muhammad, or a helper and protector of the poor, like a, a Gandhi or a Mother Teresa or something like that. Most people will at least grant that Jesus was an actual person uh, who walked and talked on this earth. That's not so hard to believe. But for most people, that's as far as they'll go. And apparently, uh, the followers of Jesus faced the same problem uh, in the first century. There were people uh, in those days who had good things to say uh, about Jesus but would not believe that this man, Jesus, uh, was who he claimed to be, namely God in the flesh. So in 2 John 7, John gives us this warning. Many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. There's many folks who just will not believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that is the anointed one, come in the flesh. And so in 1 John 5, 1, John will say this, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ or the anointed one has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So this is an important confession. Jesus is the anointed one. He is the Christ. So when Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? He was uh, asking them to make then an open confession of their faith in him for who he claimed to be. Peter, of course, responds for the group. You're the Christ. Uh, Jesus, of course, he wasn't looking for a historical survey, you know, of his uh, mother and father and that kind of thing. The purpose of this questioning, right, was to, to see whether his disciples were willing to go beyond what the people were saying about him. Did they have eyes to see who Jesus really was? Who do you say that I am? What do you see in me? Uh, and remember, this is what this whole chapter has been all about. Have you eyes but do you not perceive? Having seen and having heard. Um, and here Jesus asking them, what do you see in me? Ah, do you see me for who I truly 
am. In other words, do you have eyes to see that when I uh, raise the daughter of Jairus back to life, that I am the giver of life? Do you have eyes to see that when I fed uh, those thousands of folks with the five loaves of bread and the two fish, that I myself am the bread of life. I am the bread of the world. And all who come to me will never hunger and never thirst. Do you have eyes to see that? Do you have eyes to see that I am not just another man, but I am the promised Messiah, the Son of God, come into the world to save men and women and children from their sins. And Peter answered, you are. You are the Christ. You are the anointed one. Now, of course, Peter knew his Old Testament. He knew that Daniel 9 spoke about a, uh, the coming anointed one. He knew his Old Testament. He knew uh, his, uh, his Psalm 2 that goes like this. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart. As for me, I have set my king, my anointed, on Zion, my holy hill. And so Peter knew his, his Bible. He knew that the anointed one, the Christ, meant king. That's who you are. You are the king. But of course, Peter didn't know exactly what being the anointed one would mean for Jesus and what that would mean for the disciples and what that would mean for all those who would become uh, followers of Jesus. He didn't know, for instance, what that would mean for you and me, that Jesus is the anointed one. In our uh, one of the uh, wonderful uh, confessions of the uh, Reformed uh, heritage that we have, uh, we have a... Uh, uh, the Heidelberg Catechism, which wonderfully uh, in, in the Heidelberg Catechism describes uh, what, uh, what it means to call Jesus uh, the Christ. And so let me read that for you. It's a wonderful, uh, wonderful reminder to us of what we understand Jesus being the Christ uh, is, is all about. And it's these words, so it's question and answer. The question is, the question is this. Uh, let me find it here. Why is he called, why is Jesus called Christ, meaning anointed? And this is what our forefathers in the faith answered from Scripture. Because he has been ordained by God the Father, has been anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher, who fully reveals to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our deliverance. He is our anointed prophet. He is our only high priest who has delivered us by the one sacrifice of his body and who continually intercedes for us before the Father. He is our great high priest and our eternal king who governs us by his word and spirit and who guards us and keeps us in the deliverance uh, he has won for us. Now, Peter didn't understand all that, but he did know that Jesus was the king. How did he know it? Well, the Gospel of Matthew uh, tells us a little more about this interaction between uh, Peter uh, and Jesus. Because right after G uh, Peter makes this great confession, this is what we read in Matthew. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. 
Who do you say that I am? Peter answers to the group. He says, you're the Christ. And Jesus says, you're a blessing. You know how you know that? The Father has graciously revealed that to you. Yes, he is the Christ. Here's the point here. A true believer, as Jesus says to them, who do you say that I am? A true believer is one who's willing, whenever necessary, to fly in the face of popular opinion, wrote one, and openly to express a conviction that is contrary to that of the masses. See, none of the people were saying this about Jesus. In the best sense of the term, the believer is willing to come forth boldly in the interest of the truth. So here you got all the people saying all sorts of things about Jesus, and here you got Peter and the disciples saying, No, you're the Christ. You are the King. You are the Anointed One. Doesn't matter what everyone else is saying. In your family. Doesn't matter what everyone else is saying at your school. Doesn't matter what everyone else is saying at your work. Doesn't matter what everyone else is saying in the United States of America. It doesn't matter what everyone else is saying uh, in your church. Whatever church you might be in, in our country. The question is, what do you say about Jesus and the believer is willing to stand up boldly and say, no, you are the Christ. You are the anointed. You are the King. The people of God are to be a separate people, a distinct people, and separate and distinct in their confession of faith. This is what we believe, and this is what this is what we what we live out in our lives. And so there's confusion about Jesus. It's confession of Jesus. And then of course we find that Jesus um, tells Peter not to tell anyone again. Why? Well, because his time has not yet come, right? Verse thirty, and he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. His time, that is the time of his crucifixion, where, uh, you know, the heat would really ratchet up. That time had not yet come, but it was, it was coming. And it's at this point in the gospel story that for the Apostle Peter and for the rest of the disciples, that really for the first time they come to hear what the king has come to do. And he began, began, verse 31, he began to teach them that the Son of Man, that's Jesus, most often term Jesus uses for himself in the Gospels, the Son of Man came from heaven ah, as a servant. He ascends, fully God, fully man, back to the Father, He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. So Peter has just confessed, you are the Christ. And then Jesus begins to teach them what that really means, you see. What does it mean for Jesus to be the Christ? Yes, he's the king. He's also the prophet who's come to speak the word. He's also the priest who's come 
to give his life. So this is a necessary clarification for Peter and for the disciples and for us. I have not come just as the king to set up some kind of new political uh, realm and authority. Instead, the Son of Man, Jesus reveals to them, will suffer, be rejected, and killed. Now, that would have been news to them because uh, Jesus says here, and this comes at the hand of the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees, and they're thinking, what? Jesus names those who are going to lead him and provoke the crowd to bring him to his death. Thus far, the disciples only had a hint way back in Mark 2, 20, um, when Jesus was talking about fasting. He said to them, uh, you, don't, you don't fast when the bridegroom is with you, but when he's gone, you'll fast, and uh, he will be taken away. Back in Mark 2. But other than that, no. And not only that, will this happen to him, it must be. Jesus says, the Son of Man must suffer. Why? Why? You know, you're Peter and the disciples. Wait a minute, you're the king. We've just seen you, right? You're, you've got power over the demons. You've got power over creation. You've got power over death itself. What? Why? Die. Must. Must. It's the Father's will. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. It's the Father's will. It's prophesied in Isaiah 53. It was the Lord's will to crush Him, bearing our iniquity. It's promised in Psalm 40. It's demanded by the law. He has to be just in punishing sin. Jesus will say to the folks on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, um, he began to show them how these things, his death and his resurrection, must be. There is no crown, Jesus is saying, without the cross. I must be killed, but I also must rise again. Uh, but the, you know, the disciples, I don't think they ever get that far. <laughs> they're just, they're just what? Must be killed. Rejected by the elders, chief priests, and the scribes. The word rejected is important. It means having been put to the test and found wanting. That's what's happening here with the religious leaders. Remember, they have been coming to Jesus to test him. He's just not the Messiah they want. (laughs) He's been found wanting by the religious leaders. Oh, are you here to conquer the Romans? Yeah, thumbs up. Here to call us to account for our own sin and, uh, and no heart for God? No thanks. But if you're here to give us some political power, you know, get us into the uh, seat of government or something like that, we're all for Jesus then. But if you're here to transform us and to deal with our sin and to make us new, of course, in the letter of the Apostle Peter to the church, uh, he describes this sentiment uh, of the Pharisees. But he also describes what God's plan was here. 1 Peter 2, 4 says, As you, that is a believer, come to him, that's Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, he's chosen and precious. You yourselves, that is believers in Jesus, 
like living stones, are being built as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, this is Jesus, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the corner stone. It's all about him. Even though I must suffer and be rejected and killed, make no mistake, he is yet the precious and uh, uh, chosen cornerstone. And the Bible simply says, Jesus at this point, um, speak plainly to them. You need to know this, Peter. And my disciples. He said this plainly. Verse 32. He said it openly. He said it unmistakably. What was he speaking unmistakably to them? He was speaking to them about the cross. That the king has come (laughs) to willingly, obediently, in the plan of the father, go to the cross. And they're hearing this. Well, we can tell for the first time. I must suffer. That word must means it's, it's necessary. It's necessary, says Jesus, for the Son of Man to suffer, be rejected, killed, and to rise again. I'm not, I'm not the, uh, the political Messiah you've been expecting, says Jesus. I'm not John the Baptist, not Elijah, or one of the prophets. But I am the Son of Man who must suffer many things for the sake of of my people. Jesus will say later in Mark, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So Jesus is here, friends, telling his disciples here in the Gospel of Mark that the Christ who stands before them uh, is not the Messiah they were anticipating. Yes, he is the king. But he's also... A great prophet and a great priest who not only offers the sacrifice, but who will be the sacrifice for the sake of his people. He's not the Christ who will fulfill the disciples' criteria of who the Messiah should be. We cannot simply fit Jesus into our plans. This is the Jesus before us, all-powerful, compassionate, The Christ. He is the Christ who came to suffer. And nowhere is it more apparent who the Christ is. Who Jesus is, if you're not sure. But at the cross, because it was at the cross that Jesus truly suffered, was rejected and killed. And Jesus here, in the middle of the Gospel of Mark, calls Peter and all his disciples to confess him as such and to follow him to that cross. Who is Jesus? Who do you say that I am? He's the Christ who will die for sinners like me. And so Jesus says to his disciples, he says to you and me this morning, never mind... Never mind who the people say I am. 
Come to the cross and see the suffering that I experienced for sinners like you, even though I am the king. Come, Jesus says here, come again and again. Come and sit at the foot of the cross to know who Jesus really is. And bring some others along with you so that they too can come to the cross and see him who is the real Jesus. All powerful, all compassionate, and who's come to die in the place of sinners. And when you look up at the cross, when you get there, and Jesus takes his final painful breath, you will see him look at you and ask you, who do you say that I am? You. Today. Here. Pole Tavern. Faith OPC. We've had this gospel for who knows how many years. We've heard of this Jesus how many times. But maybe you've never heard Jesus speak into your heart and say, but who do you say that I am? What do you truly believe about this Jesus? And that's really the question here, isn't it? Jesus, the Bible says, denied himself, took up his cross, and has been denied by the world ever since. He took up his cross, bled and died for sinners like you and I, and now if we would truly follow after him, says Jesus, you must understand the cross. Well, let's imagine um, uh, my wife and I are younger than we are and uh, that we were to be blessed with the news like the Dugans had that we're expecting. That's not true, by the way. But let's just imagine that we were a lot younger, or I was a lot younger than I And uh, well, let's say that happened, that uh, a baby, baby boy, born into our home. And one day, uh, in Mullica Hill, you break into our home and kidnap our son. Well, I'd, uh, I'd call the police, if I could find the number. Um, call the police. And uh, they'd put out a search team to find you. And I'd be looking for you. And uh, let's suppose I tracked you down and cornered you in some isolated barn in a field uh, somewhere, and I come into that building and I confront you because I know that you're the one, you're the one that took my son. And when I confront you, you immediately, of course, begin to apologize and say, oh, Peter, I'm sorry. I'm so very sorry for what I've done. I promise I will never do it again. Do you know my response to you? I'm not interested in your apologies. What I want to know is, where's my son? What have you done with my son? And you may respond by saying, well, I'm really very sorry. You know, I'll pay. I'll make it up to you. I'll pay for the damages to your home. I'll fix it up really nice. Fix the windows. Whatever you want. You know my response to you. I don't care about all those things. What I want to know is, where's my son? What have you done? With my son. And dear friends, 
This is the question. This is the question that God asks of me. (laughs) That God asks of you in your relationship to him this morning. Who sits in that last chair up front here in, in your life? What have you done with the Son? What have you done with Jesus? What have you done with the cross? Not enough to think of him as a good teacher. Unbelievers do that. Not enough to think of him as a great prophet. Muslims do that. Have you confessed him as the Christ? Your prophet who speaks the word to you. Your priest who offers the sacrifice of his own life. Your king who rules over you by his word and spirit. And it's your joy that he does. Do you confess him as your savior because you followed him to the cross? And you know that when he dies there, because you put your faith in him, you die there. Your sin dies there. And as you see him on the pages of scripture rise from the tomb, you know that by faith in him, you're united to him. And you too uh, rise to newness of life. Oh, it's a critical point in the Gospel of Mark. We've been in it a long time. You've seen a lot. You've heard a lot. And so have I. And so the Lord Jesus comes to us this morning and says, I know, I know what folks in America think. They could care less, many, about this Jesus. But who do you say that I am. May you answer that question today and may you know the truth and the truth will set you free. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Lord Jesus and we thank you, dear Lord, that we have not spent our time in the Gospel of Mark from Lord's Day to Lord's Day for no purpose, but that, Lord, you are graciously always Revealing to us through the means of grace of a great and glorious Savior, who is Jesus Christ the Lord. Help us, Lord, today to know him who, who is the real Jesus, whom we've seen on the pages of Scripture. And with the Apostle Peter and the rest of the Apostle, the Lord, take us to that cross that we might see the wonder that the King who has all power and glory has come to suffer and die in the place of sinners like us, that through faith in him, we might be set free and never die. Help us, Lord, even today, to have eyes wide open to the truth of who Jesus is. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.